I want to start and ask a question this morning. Have you ever pictured something in your mind, right? Have you ever imagined something, but then the reality of it actually happening was totally different than what you pictured? It was my honeymoon for me. Right, as a senior in college, I was engaged, and I was dreaming about my honeymoon in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico. I was picturing the beach and delicious food and a massage and slow mornings, oh, and time with my wife and, and parasailing. I love adrenaline. I still do. And my honeymoon was filled with some of those things. But we arrived, and our luggage was nowhere to be found the first few days of our trip. And then two days in, our passports were stolen. And so the remainder of our days were filled with filing police reports in police stations in Mexico and convincing, and by convincing, I mean bribing airport employees to let us on the plane home. And I say that, and it was so great and not at the same time. But the picture I had of my honeymoon was completely different than the reality of it in my life. Last week, I invited you to dream, to take some time and and think about your wants and your longings and your desires, to have some kind of picture of a desired future in your mind. And I hope that you did, right? Because just as Joseph was given a dream that we saw last week, God has placed dreams, desires, longings in you and in me. But often, like we talked about, there's a gap. There's a gap between the dream being placed in you by God and the reality of it coming to be in your life. And there's not just a gap. But oftentimes that dream is a whole lot different than we originally imagined. And that's what we're going to explore this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Genesis chapter 37. If not, it'll be on the screen. But we're going to start in verse 12. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And Joseph said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go. Go now and see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, What are you seeking? And Joseph said, I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they're pasturing the flock. And the man said, they have gone away, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. So Joseph's brothers, they were shepherding a flock in Dothan, and Joseph was not with them for some reason. And so Joseph's father, Jacob, said, hey, Joseph, go check on him. Go make sure all is well and bring me back a report. Let me know what is happening. Now, I would assume if Jacob, their father, knew 
Joseph's brother's feelings of hatred and jealousy, he may not have sent him alone that far away. And if Joseph knew how his brothers really felt, maybe Joseph would have refused to go altogether. So it seems that both Jacob and Joseph were unaware of the brothers' feelings of hatred and jealousy. So Joseph goes and looks for his brothers. And he eventually finds them in Dothan, which was about a day's journey away from Hebron, from Canaan, where they were at. And as I imagine Joseph taking this long trek during the day, I bet his dream was still on his mind. Right, as he's traveling along, I'm sure he's thinking about the dream that his family will bow down, that his brothers will bow down, and, and when will it happen? How will it happen? He's probably excited that God gave him a dream. There's probably a pep in his step. But then the story shifts to Joseph's brothers in verse 18. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what, be, what will become of his dreams." So Joseph's brothers who were shepherding this flock, they, they recognize Joseph from a long ways off. They probably see the bright colored coat that their father gave Joseph. And their anger and their hatred and their jealousy is stirred up all over again. And his brothers identify him. He, they say, here comes this dreamer. They identify him by their resentment toward him. And it's important to realize where this resentment is coming from and why it keeps growing. Yes, Joseph was a tattletale and a snitch. Yes, he was their father's favorite. But the dream that Joseph had set it over the top. Because dreams in the ancient Near East, they were a common means of divine communication and prediction. And Joseph had two dreams, which was a symbol that God had confirmed it, that the dream will be, that it will happen. And in our, our Western mind, we may chalk up a dream. If somebody comes and, or a little sibling comes and tells you this big grand dream of what they want to do, we kind of chalk it up to their immature imagination and we just kind of forget about it. But in the ancient Near East, dreams are from the divine. They come true. And I think Joseph's brothers understood the prophetic nature of the dream. I think they knew, they believed that Joseph's dream was true. They knew it was going to happen. And this is where their deep hatred and jealousy for Joseph came from. And so they say, here comes this dreamer, and they say, come now, let us kill him. This word for kill, one of the last times that we saw this was in Genesis chapter 4, verse 8, when Cain killed Abel. And why did he kill him? Because he was jealous of him. And it might be easy for us to be shocked 
by Joseph's brothers, that their emotions started with hatred and led to jealousy, and now their desire is to murder their own brother. But they were hurt. They were hurt by their dad. They were hurt by their brother Joseph. Haven't you been hurt or jealous of someone before? Hurt by someone, jealous of someone? What did that drive you to do? Probably not murder, but certainly slander or gossip to tear down or belittle another person. Maybe a verbal or a physical altercation. Maybe a post or a comment or a DM on social media. Because much of our anger and hatred and jealousy towards other people comes from our own hurt and insecurity and shame. And this is Joseph's brothers. They can't handle the hurt and the possibility that Joseph might rule over them one day. So what do they do? They resolve to stop the dream. To crush the future. That's their goal. Will they succeed? Will the dream be crushed? Will it end before it ever really begins? And so now, Joseph's getting closer to his brothers. And as Joseph's approaching, he's probably excited to see them. He's ready to give them the goods and the food and see how things are going. But his brothers come along, and they're nine verses one. They're heading towards him, and they assault Joseph. It's nine on one. They grab Joseph and they begin kicking him and punching him and beating him. And I'm sure blood is gushing from Joseph's body. Tears are pouring down his face. And Joseph is begging for mercy. The cries for them to stop, I'm sure, are trying to escape from his mouth. And he's just not sure what is happening. It's a violent scene. And then the oldest brother, Reuben, who is somewhere, hears it, and he goes to break it up, and he grabs Joseph, and he implores his brothers not to kill Joseph, but to instead throw him in a pit. And this creates a moment of reprieve for Joseph. But then the text tells us that they stripped Joseph of his robe. This word for stripped is the same word that's used for skinning animals. It is a violent stripping. And they strip the robe, the symbol of favoritism. They are dethroning Joseph as favorite. And they took and, ju- and dumped Joseph in a pit. This pit was a deep well that was used to store water. But there was no water in it. It was dry, and they threw Joseph in it. And do you know what the brothers did after that? Do you know what they did after they beat Joseph and kicked Joseph and stripped Joseph and threw him into a pit to be left for dead? Do you know what they did? Verse 25 tells us, they sat down to eat. How callous and indifferent do you have to be to sit down and eat after beating your own brother to a pulp 
and listening to him cry for mercy. Then you eat. And on top of that, they were probably eating the food that Joseph brought them from home. Joseph could have never expected this. This is quite literally the opposite of his dream. Joseph down in a pit, writhing in pain, with his brothers peering over him, in some ways ruling over him, asserting their dominance. This word pit is really interesting in the Old Testament. It's also used for the word grave. And so Joseph is quite literally, he was in the pit of the grave. And this word is also related to the Hebrew word sheol, which stands for the underworld. It was the realm of death. And this is the place we find Joseph. His dream is dead in its tracks. It will not be. Violence has won. Have you experienced something like this before? I pray and I hope not a violent assault, but a feeling like your dream is dead, that your longings will never be. Have you ever just felt despair that there is no glimmer of hope in your future? You just feel stuck, unsure of what to do next confused. Do you find yourself in the gap between dream and the reality of it, and you're just not sure what to do anymore? If you are in this place, if you find yourself in the gap, I wonder if our dreams aren't dead, but just different. Because with our dreams, we must expect the reality of them to look and feel different than the dream itself. Like my honeymoon. Right? Because God gives pictures. This is what prophecy is in the New Testament. N.T. Wright says they are signposts pointing to a fog. God gives pictures. God gives glimpses. But it's never the full thing. Joseph saw his brothers bowing down in the dream, but he did not see the violent assault or the pit. And in this moment, it'd be really easy for Joseph to give up on his dream. But what if God has something different for Joseph? What if God has something different for me and for you? Will we cling for control of what we wanted to be and thought it would be, or will we release it and allow God to work? Right, because so much of living in the gap in the time between, which is where we all find ourselves, is about releasing the illusion of control that we think we have. And, and can I tell you, control is one of the biggest hindrances to God having our hearts and working in our life. Because control puts you in the driver's seat rather than God. 
Control gives our flesh authority rather than his spirit and word. And control makes us the redeemer and liberator of our life rather than God's son, Jesus. But when we open our hands and release control of the outcomes of our dreams, God gets our hearts. God gets our hearts and he molds and he shapes us into his image in the present. Why? Because God cares more about who you're becoming than where you are going. Because he wants your heart. He wants you. So when we release control, God acts. Let's go back to our text. Verse 25, we see the brothers eat. Then they sat down to eat. But listen to these next three words. And looking up. And looking up. This is a major turning point in the story. Anytime in scripture you see the words look up or look or see or behold, it means something significant is about to take place. The narrator of this story is telling us to pay attention because God is about to act. And what happens? In looking up, they saw a caravan of traders approaching. They saw a caravan of traders approaching, and his brothers, with Judah leading the way, says, let's not kill him. We don't want his blood on our hands. Let's sell him to these traders. So Joseph was pulled off the ground, lifted from the pit, and he was sold to these traders heading to Egypt. God acted. He showed up. Joseph did not die. The dream is still alive, no matter how different that it's shaping up to be. And again, Joseph expected to rule, but now he's a slave heading to Egypt, about to be sold to Potiphar. This dream is certainly different than he could have ever thought. And if I could get inside Joseph's mind as he's heading towards Egypt with these traders, I can only imagine he's thinking, God, was this dream even from you? How, how is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? I don't think I heard you right. But whether he realized it or not, God acted. He showed up. There was a glimmer of hope. Can I tell you there's hope for you and for me this morning? If you find yourself in a pit of sorts, in the gap between dream and reality, and if you're experiencing confusion or anger or despair or doubt or shame or apathy or fear or whatever it is, there is hope that God is acting and will act. And we just need to look up. We need to pay attention. This is what I do when my kids, I have a four and two-year-old, and when they're throwing a tantrum or feeling sad or really scared, 
as a parent, I go over to them, right? I approach them. I enter their space. And I just, I kind of lift up their head to look at me. And I just say, I love you. I'm right here. I want to help you. I'm with you. I'm for you. Right? And this is what Jesus does all throughout the Gospels. If you pay attention in the Gospels, how many times Jesus says, look, or see, or behold. Right? It's what Jesus does to you when you're in the pit, when you're feeling despair. He comes over, he enters your space, he takes his hand and he lifts up your chin and he is saying, look at me, pay attention. I'm here, I love you, I'm with you, I'm for you, and I am about to act on your behalf. But can I tell you something? It's gonna look a little different than you thought. It's not going to be like you originally pictured or dreamed of. You know why? Because I want your heart. I want you. That's the goal of the dream, right? The dream is not the end. I am. So I want to leave you this morning with a question and with a prayer. And here's the question. Are you willing for your dream to be different than you originally thought or pictured? Are you willing, I hope you have that picture or desire in you, are you willing for your dream to be different than you originally thought? And if not, God's going to have a really tough time getting our hearts and, do, and working in our lives. But if we are willing, he will get your heart, and he will make it like his, and he will give you eyes to see how he's working and moving all around, even in moments when you least expect it or think it will happen. And it's not lost on me that releasing control, right? That's what this, this question is asking us to do, to release control of what we want or what we think or how we think something should be. And I know it's a lot more difficult to release control. Um, much easier said than done. So I want to give you a prayer to pray this week to help us release control. This prayer, it's called the welcoming prayer. And, and here's how it goes. It, it says, God... I let go of my desire for security, affection, and control and embrace this moment as it is. Write it down. Take a picture of it. Will you pray this with me each day this week? To find a moment, I encourage you to sit down and find a moment and breathe and pause and pray, God, I let go of my desire for security, affection, and control and embrace this moment as it is. And when we do that, as we pray that prayer, what happens, it'll go from our minds into our hearts and we'll begin to embody it. And as we embody it, we will release control and our eyes will be opened and we'll see what God is doing and how he's working and we will trust him because he's good and he's always provided. And he'll get our hearts and he'll form and he'll shape him and your desires and dreams will align with his desires and dreams. 
And it may be different, but it'll be better than we could have ever imagined. So God, I thank you for your word, for your dreams you've placed in us. Lord, we release control this morning. We give it to you. Would you open our eyes to see how you're moving and working? Would you open our hearts so that you could have them? And this is all for your glory, for your name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.